to Minority Corner, where we take an introspective look at the world through an intersectional lens. I'm Jane. Him, his. I'm a queer, political, comedian, self-proclaimed, sexy blurred. That's a uh, black nerd. And each week I'm joined in the corner by another fabulous minority where we tackle pop culture, the news, media, and history, all with a little self-care and self-love sprinkled throughout. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. Oh my gosh. It's going to get so nerdy in here. I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, but James, this is Minority Corner. It's what y'all do. This is going to be a 12 off the nerd scale. So get ready. I am so excited because we have a legend here. It ain't Patty the Bell. We have the legendary, even better, the legendary Cymatic Bruce. He, him, his. He is a VR evangelist, DDR world champion, y'all. Also the co-founder of Altspace VR and just one of my favorite folks to get blurry with. And just kicking off the new year, we went and we revisited some of our favorite sci-fi and fantasy movie epics like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, The Matrix, leading into a discussion about The Witcher. Y'all can tell what I did over the break. And then in the main event, Bruce leads us in a talk about video games and tech by first talking about the godfather of video game consoles, Jerry Lewis, who was an early black Silicon Valley engineer and creator of the Fair Channel F, where it all began. He's kind of like Bruce's Obi-Wan because through him, we get Bruce's origin story and being black and navigating the tech and video game world. This launches us into many conversations about the black Silicon Valley exodus, toxic masculinity in the competitive video game world, the history of marketing video games to boys and how that all came to be and the inclusivity of some pockets of the video game world over others and the direction it's all heading in. This is such a fun episode to kick off the new year, so get your Star Wars Mandalorian nerd goggles on and your Witcher's Sorcerer's Tarp on because y'all will get wet. Wet with all this sweet, sweet nerdtastic. So it's time to learn, laugh, and play right here on Minority Corner because together, we're the majority. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, Here we are. Mm. Living it up. Living uh, it up. Uh, Patty LaBelle. Living it up. Uh, uh. Patty LaBelle is not here. Um, <laughs> Patty. I'm sorry, Patty. We couldn't get her, you know? I uh, couldn't get Patty LaBelle here. She wouldn't have come to rehearsal. <laughs> Shoot for the stars. Shoot yeah. for the stars. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Oh, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jay. Man. <laughs> Thank you. Full <laughs> disclosure here, it's going to get real nerdy today, y'all. It's going to get nerdy. Get your nerd glasses on. Mm. Get, your nerd, get your nerd books and your nerd computers yes. and your nerd thermostats. What are the things that the, <laughs> what do they nerd, use? A nest? Is that a zone? No, like the thermometers when they're doing scientists, like, you know, old school chemistry scientists. They use like thermometers. Like a barometer? Like a... Like yeah, a, see? It's getting nerdy. Ooh, you know ooh, the words. it's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually like love binge watching TV shows, but I found myself just binge watching movies like doing movie marathons it's not really a binge it's a movie marathon yes 
And so I would love to talk about, unwrap these with you because I think you're the person too. So I re I did all of Star Wars episode one through nine. I mm -hmm. did Lord of the mm -hmm. Rings, the extended editions, which is, mm -hmm. that was Christmas. That was my full Christmas day. That is uh, a lot of time. <laughs> 12 hours, actually. 12 yes. fucking hours. Then after watching Lord of the Rings, I was like, but what do they do before this? I forgot. I've seen Lord of the Rings so many times that I've only seen The Hobbit like once, one of them each time. And I did not remember any of that fucking trilogy. And I, so I watched all of that. So that's about mm. nine hours. So I was on oh. Middle Earth for almost 24 fucking hours. And then <laughs> I did all of The Witcher. So, oh, and I did all of the Matrix trilogy as well. Oh, that's what's up. All right. Yeah. Matrix so, revisit. Oh, that's my jam. I, you know, and I think out of all of them, I'm trying to think what was like my most favorite in terms of like going on the full journey. Well, I think Lord of the Rings was the most consistent in terms of like telling a full story and a full world building. And it made me mm -hmm. sort of think. Because it gets so frustrating. Like, we love, I think because we love stories, we love them when they're consistent. And I think one of the hardest parts about movies versus like books is like you're the writer and you can write it all down. And it doesn't matter if like an actor dies because there's no actor, it's just you writing it. You know, you get to write it full, complete. There's no budget constraints, there's no producers. Whereas, like, with mm -hmm. movies, I think they will continuously always sort of disappoint us in their overarching continuity because. Actors aren't available. Actors like there's disagreements. There's producers. There's constraints. So it absolutely blows my mind that movies actually get made. Like when you <laughs> learn more about like how wait a minute how many people are involved in this? Oh my god! You look this? at those credits that everybody ignores. Yeah, exactly. And it's like this came out as a cohesive thing, and not only does it like. I mean, sometimes it comes out as a cohesive thing that's so compelling and so amazing for people everywhere in the world. And that's yes. that is mind boggling, much less the ability or the I don't even know if it's the ability or just like uh, the it, it's so fortunate that we live in this time where these kind of epics over multiple mm. films yeah. have actually stretched like Lord of the Rings as a movie trilogy as some of the best scenes ever filmed on film and yeah. it's like it's fantastic and also like the the marvel universe that was made like 23 movies 23 movies it's insane and none of them were like trash they were like they were like yeah, yeah okay this movie's all right the you know the dark, this one dark was world, great. okay not like the best but like you could still like you know it wasn't terrible. Yeah. We'll say about Lord of the Rings, the one thing that was disappointing to me, and I think, like, there's always, when I'm doing a rewatch, there's always some information that I know that makes it hard for me to enjoy it, because I'm like, this thing is missing. Or like, oh, I wish they would have done this instead. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, there was, they, uh, so Liv Tyler's character, if you notice, she actually only does, like, one thing in the first movie, and then she just doesn't do anything for, like, the rest of the trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> <Her> <laughs> Awen or Arwen, it's confusing because both of the love interests have very similar names, like Arwen and Awen. Mm -hmm. Gonna get nerdy. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
So she actually was originally her. They were filming her in the Battle of Helm's Deep, and then photos released, and people were like, "But that's not. It's not in the books. She ain't there. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't there. Why she there? <laughs> First of all, this is not a historical like you know like this is the the historical Battle of Helm's Deep. It's made up, y'all. So calm your asses down. People take it so serious, and I, I mean, even Peter Jackson, I mean, took it so serious. Like uh, apparently. He only like in that particular scene in that battle, he only allowed extras on the front line that had read the scene from the books. Oh, like he he actually quizzed people. And so that's why there's like there's this one dude that's kind of famous on the Internet. That one extra that's uh, that that is extra like he's he's he is about it. And you're like, damn, that guy is into it. And apparently (laughs) like all the extras that were on the front line, like there were they they were all research. Yeah, I've been on they, film sets, and usually extras like they're just hanging around. They're like, yeah. "I'm retired," or "Ooh, I'm just." Ooh. I was is that sure. a, is that a croissant? Is yeah, that a- that's literally <laughs> they wouldn't make it on the Peter Jackson set. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, uh-uh. Oh, and then they had films for the other Arwen Awen, the blonde a the the blonde Yin. I'm just gonna call her. They both mm-hmm. end with Yins. Um, <laughs> she they had filmed this like scene where she like protects all like the women and children in the keep against some orcs and then they like mm. just cut it and it's just so important. like I guess they were like they wanted to make it a big reveal for when she stabs the witch king in the third and final one mm-hmm. I just just like things like that just kind of make it disappointing because it is a huge white male sausage fest running around in the Lord of the Rings and so having that female representation like it's a thing that's at, uh, in diversity is so lacking in it obviously yeah it's been like it's been so interesting because you have these great fictional epics that are beloved by so many people of all ages and backgrounds, but they're also products of their time. Like yeah. you know, Lord of the Rings is a story written by a World War One veteran, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> totally. like if you 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 think about okay, what's that? What's that time? What's that place? Like a lot of the stuff that's written by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, like or uh, like I'm, I'm a Heinland fan as a science fiction author. Mm-hmm. Like you wrote like um, Stranger in a Strange Land, for example. And it's like, oh man, the concepts in this book, it's so interesting. But like going back and reading that book, I'm like, gosh, damn, this is a misogynist book. <laughs> like this is like, <laughs> like, like, yeah. Sometimes being woke is so hard. Sometimes like, like again, going to the Matrix, when you take like the red pill and you're awake, you're like, oh damn it, I can't enjoy this thing anymore yeah it really is fascinating where it's like oh man i got i got to i i can enjoy this work but i also have to keep in mind like okay this is a product, product of, its of its time, time. Well, see what's mm. interesting though about like when you get to like when you get to the hobbit they invented a character i forget her name i'm terrible with names but evangeline lily played the character who looks like Liv tyler and then her character's not in the hobbit at all and i feel like they allowed her to do what they wish they would have allowed uh, Liv Tyler's character to be able to do because she's, you know, being an elf and she's got her swords and she's fighting and she's doing all this stuff. And then I will say Evangeline Lilly was like, I'll do this movie, but no live love triangle. And they're like, okay. And then she filmed all of her scenes and then they were like, we need you to come back and film all this, film all this love triangle scenes. I'm like, it's so <laughs> sad. Like her character arc in the end just doesn't make any sense. Like it's this huge build up and then. It's like womp womp. That is too bad. So I have taken this nerdy stand. 
I have intentionally not not just not seen. I've refused to go see The Hobbit because I'm like, look, I read okay, I read The Hobbit before I read any of the Lord of the Rings. Which makes I sense. Like it comes first. It comes first. When, yes, I mean, yeah. as a kid, I was like, I read The Hobbit like there and back again. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. And I heard, oh, they're gonna make a Hobbit movie. Then I was like, it's three movies. I'm like, this book is like what. <laughs> A hot 120 pages, like whatever it is. Like, well, originally it was going to be just two movies, and then they were like, "No, we got to make it three. Got to make that money." Yeah, like I'm, I'm just like so. I've just been so like, why? And then like, there's how? the, ex- and they each have an extended. They each have an extended how? edition. I was on. I was in your camp too. I was in your camp too. But then I rewatched it, having watched all three of the Lord of the Rings, and I actually in- thoroughly enjoyed The Hobbit, possibly slightly. Even more than the Lord of the Rings, maybe it's just because I'd only I had seen Lord of the Rings so many times. I've seen The Hobbit once now, twice to the point where I didn't remember anything that was going to happen oh next. I, I they because here's the thing: I went down a fandom like Wikipedia rabbit hole. You know, where you start clicking on like, oh, they highlight something. You're like, but mm-hmm. what's this? And you just go down a rabbit hole. I did that with the Lord of the Rings and. Tolkien's so bananas because he's created this whole, there's a huge history. Yeah. And so they were including things from some of like, there's another book that he ended up writing that has like more of like the history of the world of Middle Earth because the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit take place during the third age. And then there's like the second age and the first age. So there's like the first time Sauron tried to like do all this or Sauron tried to do all this shit. And then before that he had, he was just like the sidekick underling. And so I think they were trying to include like some of that. What I am excited about is that there's an Amazon series that takes is come the Amazon series that's being done. The Lord of the Rings series. It's not, it's taking place during the second age. Mm. And that is the first time when Sauron, especially his rise to power and him creating the rings and all oh, of that jazz. Okay, so that's interesting. That should be interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, it is so incredibly deep. Like there's a, such incredible <laughs> like, <laughs> world building. And it also fascinates me that on Wikipedia, some of the best documented things are also the nerdiest things. Like the <laughs> really true. Lord of the Rings. Star Wars. Oh my god, yeah. Video games. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, they're so so well documented so on Wikipedia. Thoroughly <laughs> done. Actually, in fact, what took me so long watching all of these Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, or even like the when it, we'll get to the Witcher, they would mention something. I'm like, but what's that? And I would just Google I would end up in like Google it and it would like pop up in fandom and someone would have like a few yeah. biog- a full biography about like what this was full and then what article. it relates to. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so fascinating. Not so much for I would say um the Matrix, which is interesting because it's more of a sort of contained world. It doesn't have as much of a mythology because it's just got like the yeah. three movies in the Animatrix. So I have a lot. I have something to say because, okay, so when The Matrix came out, I was really, really into it. Like, so once The Matrix released and before the sequels came out, there was lots of fandom and lots of websites and lots of speculation and like uh, like uh, forum discussion because it was, you know, it was before twitter <laughs> so it was lots of like people posting on forums like oh my gosh and all this symbolism and so there was all this like discussion i think a lot of it ended up cooling after so i don't know if you remember this but there was a lawsuit that this woman brought about like the story of the matrix like essentially she contended that she had the original premise and she won the lawsuit. Mm. 
And when she won that lawsuit, that put a huge damper on a lot of the fan base, which was really um. interesting. Like there were people that were, and then on top of like some of the, I guess, divisive, divisive nature of the reception of the sequels. And then it kind of put a quash on like, People were like, oh, yeah, okay, they were cool, right. but it was like... And there is so much venom for the sequels. I watched Reloaded, and actually, it has 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually a really fun film. I think the hard part about it is it's so interesting. So it clocks in at two hours, and then Revelations clocks in at two hours as well. It's interesting because back then, like now, we will easily sit through a movie. I'm surprised when a movie is not two hours nowadays. Like oh, I watched. Yeah. A, I watched uh, the Aeronauts with Felicity Jones uh, on Amazon Prime. It's like 1800s and like it's essentially gravity, but with like a hot air balloon. Mm, nice. Um, <laughs> in that sounds 1800s. incredible. <laughs> it's like you get the same sort of butt clenching moments that you'd get in gravity, but it's even more terrifying because you're like, they're in a fucking hot air balloon. It's the 1800s. <laughs> you done. But that movie was only like an hour and a half. And I was like, what? You know, it's so interesting. So I think if the Matrix would have like, there was no reason for Reloaded and the two and the three to be separated as two movies. They actually only came out like six months away from each other. I think they just felt like it was like too long of a story. So it's interesting because I think that maybe would have helped because it does feel like the back half of a second movie. Mm -hmm. Also, interesting fun fact is that there's a character named Switch in the first one who kind of, who was supposed to... It was supposed to be a trans character. Yeah, which yeah. would have been revolutionary in 1989. That's why I'm kind of excited about the uh, Wachowski sisters, or I think it's just, is it just Lana? Is it just yeah, one of them? Yeah, I think back? it's just one of them. I think it's just Lana. She's coming back for four. But yeah, that was such a fascinating yeah. character that was going to be one gender outside of the Matrix and another gender inside. I think that would have been so yeah. interesting because it's like... You know, there was one of the great lines from the first Matrix is like, it's a di digital representation of your physical self. And it's like, right. oh my gosh, what an interesting concept that is to explore yes. that, yeah. hey, I I feel like I'm this, you know, right. I, I'm this thing in the physical world, but uh, mentally, really... this is how I see myself. You know? Yeah. And... So fascinating. And so I'm so excited for them to come back. I think for going back to Matrix 4, I'm really excited to see what they produce out of it. I will say, though, you know, we're talking about fantasy and Lord of the Rings. So I watched The Witcher. Did you, you saw The Witcher? Absolutely. Watched the whole thing. So what I love, one of the things I loved about it is I was like, oh, yeah, this is how fan, in terms of casting, that's how fantasy should have always been done. Because if you even look at Lord of the Rings, it's a made-up fantasy world. So it's actually bullshit that it's literally just white people running around. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> watching The Witcher, I was like, oh, this is the most believable fantasy world I've ever got actually ever seen because it's just people of all different sort of colors and like who are elves and dwarves and like witches and all kinds of stuff. And I felt like we all finally got to got to LARP, you know, like we yeah. finally got to like participate. <laughs> I was like, Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Like first I was, uh, the song is so catchy. I just, I just love it. Toss a coin to your witcher. Oh, your witcher. Valley of plenty. Which I also love because it's almost like a pop bat. Like I love what the witcher just like, kind of is inverting what usually gets done in fantasy stuff or even like mm. with Game of Thrones, which they tend to take themselves too seriously. Like 
one of the great things about The Witcher is I think also what they did really well, because they're kind of coming off the heels of like Game of Thrones, and which in Game of Thrones, it took forever for anything to happen in one season. And with The Witcher, because this is not a spoiler to anybody, it actually will help you understand it. Not all the characters are in the same timeline. Because mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I'm so fucking <laughs> exactly. <confused." laughs> and they throw you into this world like you're supposed to know all of like these townships. They're like, Nilfgaard, Eretuza, Sintra. <laughs> who are all these? I'm like, who are these people? And I don't want to Google anything because I don't want to spoil anything for myself. And like, they're like, they're, <laughs> like Yerefine, or what's that one? There's What's the witch's name? Yennefer. She's got a name. Yes. <laughs> like these yes. like, sort of set. Many made up, made up names, but they just throw you into the middle of it. Like, but I will say, by like episode six, I'm like, yes, they have to protect Arendelle or whatever. Like, you f- start knowing what the names, <laughs> Some you like know what they are when they re- when they refer to them. They're like, oh my god, I hope they get back <laughs> to protect the yes, to protect the sanctuary. One of the best they- tips. I got about watching The Witcher is to just go in with the subtitles on. Oh, that's how I watched it. Like, I watched it with subtitles yeah. because I was before I had the volume blasted like I was 80 years old and I still couldn't <laughs> understand anything. You have to watch The Witcher with subtitles because it's so confusing without. It's, yes. If you haven't read the books, if you haven't played the video games at all, like you got to go on with subtitles so you understand because. It's one of the things that it's, it makes it a little difficult, but also I love it because it's a different type of lore. It's Eastern European lore. Oh, right. So it's like, so they're pulling from all this like Polish stuff, but it's like, so you have like a, a, one, a different mix of people they can pull from because it's farther east yeah. uh, than your traditional like European, you know, fantasy story. So that's sure. nice. But it also they, they, they're pulling these other legends like, you know, Stria, I was like, what the hell is a Stria? What is that? Is that a is it a vampire? What oh right, what, yeah. what wait a minute, what? But it's like, yeah, so it's this it's really cool because it's exposing you to like a different like shade of type of European culture that we don't usually see and yeah. these interesting things that are happening. And they also just got like and everything's in it. Like I feel like a lot of times like like, I feel like it took a long time for Game of Thrones to be like, we got dragons too. But this series is like, what you got? We got werewolves. We got we got witches. We got we got little <laughs> goblins. Yes. We got magic. Like, sometimes shows will kind of, like, creep around. Like, even in Game of Thrones, like, the magic was kind of there. This show is just like, we got a school for witches. What? And they're just yes, like... And the, we're not ashamed of it. And, and it's not Hogwarts. And there's People huge, die. <laughs> yes, and there's huge battles of, like, witches. Like, it's got all everything that you would like of, like... Uh, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Titties, they got that too. They got char- yeah. <laughs> characters that you're like, oh, this character seems dope. Oh, they did. What? That's going to happen too. <laughs> they got all of that. Like, And I also thought it was really smart yes. about their nonlinear timeline is because they were able to like get into the mix real fast. Because sometimes you have to like, mm-hmm. otherwise I was thinking about it, if they did it nonlinear, you would have to build up all season long for those things and it kind of maybe would have been like boring but it's fun because like some of the episodes with the actual witcher which hot henry cavall love those bathtub scenes more 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 <laughs> but i digress it's feels like a, a a buddy cop show or like a or like a, a episode or a procedural show where it's like a monster of the week you know and so it's kind mm-hmm, of fun to like mm-hmm. have them doing that and then other characters are doing other sort of like other fantasy story explorations. I thought it was just a really well way to like jump into a first season. Yeah. I enjoyed it uh, a whole lot. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's a really great first season out the gate. Can't wait to see how it goes and jumps off and happens next. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, black just, elves, black uh, witches, like let's I'm go. that. Let's go. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice. Or at MaximumFun.org. And also come see us at San Francisco Sketchfest on January 16th. You can get tickets at sfsketchfest.com. accomplished. back we are back hey we're back video game blackness history <laughs> bonanza <laughs> absolutely so yeah let's get kind of get into it like one of the inspirations that i had actually let me back up uh the yeah, first back it up back, back it, it up, up back it up all the way uh the first video game system that i remember our family owning was a fairchild channel f um it was this interesting system. It was along the same time as like the ColecoVision, the Magnavox, the Odyssey, those really old systems before the Atari 2600. Because that's the first thing that I remember it, uh-huh. the Atari. You just said a bunch of things and I thought I was watching The Witcher again and I needed to put on the <laughs> subtitles. I was like, oh, what is this world I'm in? It's like, what is this? Um but a wooka box? A wooka box? Wooka who? What did you say to me? <laughs> who did you? What? No. <laughs> I don't know nothing about no fancy. Whoa. <laughs> but, it got uh, cartridges in it. Exactly. Woo, baby. Um, but uh, but yes, this system, it was uh, one of the earliest systems that we got. And it had these banana yellow cartridges. And it was uh, the first thing I remember was like a, a game of blackjack. Um, had these interesting controllers, like they like twisted. It was like a joystick, but it kind of you could pull it up and down. It was an interesting controller yeah. too. But in, anyway, like uh, you know, this was kind of my family's first kind of journey, and uh, and it was the start of my relationship with video games as a whole. And I mean, I fell in fell in love with them. And I mean, shortly thereafter, we got like Atari 2600, you know, an 8-bit Nintendo, um, which was just the love of my life at the time. Um, and <laughs> uh, went on through history to get like, you know, Sega Genesis and, you know, she's uh, in 64 PlayStation on up to, you know, the PlayStation you, 4 Even the PCs. elusive Sega Dreamcast, which is still one of my favorite systems ever. Oh, one of my favorites. Sega, Absolutely. Sega Dreamcast is one of the best systems ever created. Mm. I love Sonic Adventure. Everybody hated it, but I loved it. Oh. I love a good, like, 3D exploration world. Man, when Sonic Adventure, when you open up and you're running, and then there's a freaking killer whale, and you're like, what? Oh. I- my gosh, so good. you're just like, it's it's like, again, it was like, it, yeah, it was like Sonic and it was like real. It was like 3D. Look <laughs> at all these graphics. The, all these graphics. Oh, the graphics look so real. You know what's so interesting about how, what the mind perceives? Like, remember, so when, because I was doing all these rewatchings of all these, you know, movie trilogies from Lord of the Rings over the holiday break and all these um Star Wars and watching the different ones that were made in different times. It's so interesting how, like, at the time, 
I think for the most part, like all of them looked pretty real. And then when I go back and now watch it, cause my mind has like seen such better, you know, technology and CGI mm-hmm. that my brain is like, Oh, that looked fake as fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, you know, sometime later, cause I mean, video games have been such a key part of why I want to get involved in tech at all. Um, I got a Commodore 64 from my uncle when I was 11. Uh, from one of my Commodore, like the Commodores had their own video game system, not the Commodores, man. Like, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Commodore 64. It was, oh, uh, that'd be great branding. Could you imagine some like old timey, like Motown <laughs> bands? Like, hey, don't be, forget to buy a video game so system. Wild. Get your two basic shoe up, shoe Lots of code, <laughs> baby. Shoo up, shoo up. Like what? The they were hell? ahead of. The, they were ahead of their time. It's just Guitar Hero because you got to like sing the song, sing along the song. It's just a karaoke game. Man, what would happen if there was endorsements from like Smokey Robinson for like the <laughs> Apple Two E? <laughs> oh my God! Well, you get some boomers. You get yeah, them going. We, we got. We probably have more programmers right now. Uh, anyway, like <laughs> so, this is so. I love these tangents that this is going on. This is so fantastic. Welcome. To minority corners is what we do this is what, this is what happened um so man so i found out a little bit later that the fairchild channel f the first video game system that i encountered that you know inspired my trek into technology was actually a video game system that was designed and made by a gentleman named jerry lawson who is one of the uh few uh black engineers in silicon valley you know, at this time in the sixties and seventies, um, I do say I just I wish his last name was Fairchild. Yeah, like, <laughs> I do. Jay Fairchild, like no. it's also that's how you actually know it's a, by a black guy or a black person because it's got Fairchild in it, which is a very it just oozes blackness. That just it is. I think I think Fairchild was a white dude though, but it definitely sounds oh. like a black name. Like it definitely it does. Yeah, it usually be black. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of the Golden Child. Yeah. <laughs> So with Jerry Lawson, I think he um he like starred like back in the forties, like he messed around like as a young man with like walkie talkies. He took things apart, put things back together, and like he got an opportunity like working at like a just kind of a random electronics company. Like I think he was like maybe the janitor doing some other odd job and he like worked hard and like learned electronic engineering essentially. Um, kind of mostly self-taught and worked his way up. And so by the time he, he got this opportunity, like working at the company I was making the Fairchild uh, Electronics, or, the, you know, this is one of these companies where at the time was like, maybe we should get interested in this video game thing. Looks like it might be a hot property. And someone's like, you crazy. You yeah. you keep sweeping. It was like, yeah. It's like, oh, well, let's, let's take a chance. And um, so this dude was like, you know, he knew his stuff, and he designed uh, this system, and it turned out he was the first person uh, to design a system where the game pl- that you play is actually separate from the system itself. So all the consoles up to that point, you got a box, and it had the two controllers in it, and all the games were built into the thing. Like so you had to, like, you're like... Had to buy an entire new console. That would, could you imagine? Had to yes. buy a whole entire new console, 
Oh, a new game caught. You just have all this tra- you have all these systems. Yeah. Mess. Yeah. It was like you had your system and that what was built into it was built into it. And, that was it. And Hope you like Pac-Man. That was it. And so it was like this revolutionary concept of the video game cartridge was this dude, Jerry Lawson. Like he made that a reality that now you have these cartridges, you plug them in. Uh, that are also on static circuit boards, boom, they complete the connection, and now you have a lot of different games that can be sold, and that becomes a literal game changer, <laughs> pun intended, for the video Ooh, game industry. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Okay, now my brain is broken, and maybe you might get into the history of this, because I am, first of all, like how, I think aside from you like mumbling it and at some point, over the past few decades. But how come I never heard about his name before, aside from just your own rantings and ravings and mumblings? Yeah. Like, he should be up there with, like, a Steve Jobs. Like, he, like, completely revolutionized our lives. I would say most of us have grown up playing video games or played a video game at some point. Like, it's that's so random. He's, like, the godfather of video games. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, random. I'm uh, sure there's a history yeah. of racism. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, that, like, that's one of the parallels that uh, I draw, like, with him as pretty much, like, one of the only, if not the only, like, black dude around that time. Like, he was, a lot of people would come to him and just assume that he was an Indian guy uh, because, like, oh. there were just no black engineers in Silicon Valley. So that was, like, the type of stuff he ran into, but also just generally aside from the race thing that definitely was an issue. There's just a lot of stories like this of people in Silicon Valley that just did not get the credit. Like I think the dude um, that was responsible for making the concept of spreadsheets, like that guy is a professor somewhere and is not rich at all. Like, (laughs) Like every like Lotus and Excel and Google Sheets and everything is based on what this dude created, and he's just like, well, I made that thing, and for whatever Nobody reason, cares. like he didn't have a lawyer or the business sense or didn't patent it or just like so many other computer geeks at the time, it was like, you know, kind of like the, I guess you know the hippie summer of love type thing. It's kind of a similar thing with computer hackers. Um, in the in the sixties and seventies, there was a lot of academics, a lot of people that were just making stuff to be making stuff, and right. there was a few sharp people like Jobs or like Bill Gates or like a few of those other folks that were like, "Yo, this is a business opportunity." Uh, there's people that have deep pockets that don't understand how this stuff works, so we can present it a certain way, or we can, you know you know, uh, present ourselves a certain way to uh, mm. basically finesse yeah. ourselves into a multi-million and later multi-billion dollar business and industry, you know? And right. so there's just... It's interesting. I'm, actually, I'm reading this book. I uh, highly recommend it. It's called Outsiders. I was telling you about it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And he has mm. a section about talking... Essentially, the book like outlines like how how does success happen? Like, what is success? And there's actually, like, certain variables that will actually dictate 
if you will be successful. And some of them, um, again, he uh, goes back to like the 10,000 hours thing. Like you, the Beatles got really good because they actually logged in playing like 10,000 hours together in these like shitty nightclubs that let no one else wanted to play at. And they got really good. Um, I, Bill Gates, I happened to be, he was in the right place at the right time. He was near like the university of Michigan where the, he had access to one of these supercomputers where they were doing all this programming and he was doing all this work that a lot of people didn't want to do and didn't seem like it was going sort of anywhere and he put in all this sort of time um so having like access if you didn't so you so what he was saying is like if you didn't even have access to one of those big there were so few of them at the time those huge huge big computers and what they were you wouldn't have been able to get that time in right and so now he's ahead of the curve and he's able to sort of like get it get ahead of it and so you know with Jerry Lawson too it could have been being in the right place at the right time. So there's all these sort of variables that factor in, in terms of in being successful. And I do wonder, because I couldn't imagine that there, I would say even now, we talked about this on the podcast before, but I mean, Silicon Valley still tends to be, you know, not the most diverse place, especially for, you know, women and minorities, I would say too. And I can't imagine, especially Jerry Lawson, this is back in like, what, the 70s? Yeah, this was like late 60s, early 70s when this was happening. I mean, it was even even less diverse uh, at that point. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That. Yeah, to the point where he was mistaken for an entire different nationality altogether. But, yeah, it was. Uh, it's just kind of this really interesting situation where it was like, oh, man, all this stuff is coming together. It's connected, and I feel like so connected that, hey, my journey into this as a fan and later as a professional began by this, you know, this man's work that, you know, that was a person that that looked like me and that came from a background that wasn't too different from my own. And that's just such a a special thing. But it's, I mean, and that kind of goes into like kind of like skipping forward and like having the experience as, you know, a black and brown person or just a, a different uh, just someone that's different that's in the tech field and what that means today and kind of some of the things that are that are happening that are very interesting um for example like the exodus that's happening right now from silicon valley that has been going on for the past i don't know five to ten years where you know there's a lot of black and brown tech entrepreneurs that are leaving silicon valley and going to atlanta for example because mm. that's where the money is, and you can have people that have deep pockets that also look like you that you yeah. that you're gonna find some some success or maybe a customer or whatever you're you can like oh I'm gonna go there this is where I'm gonna find not only maybe some you know economical success but also I can find this connection to my culture my heritage my history and so there's some interesting things going on there as as well that have been very interesting that I've been witnessing as being a black professional in Silicon Valley for, you know, the past five or six years or so, just kind of witnessing that happen. Like, Oh, this is interesting. Like, am I going to have to do the same thing if I want to strike sure. out and, and do something on my own? That's fascinating. Especially because like also, I mean, Atlanta is about to blow up because you've also got like the film industry that is also moving a huge part. Tyler Perry just opened up his huge studio mm-hmm. in Georgia. It's the largest studio in the entire world, which is amazing, owned by a black man. That is phenomenal. He 
did what he did to get where he did and don't enjoy all of his movies. But you know what? <laughs> snaps and props, snaps and props. How those stories, all stories deserve to be told. I don't have to enjoy all of them, but yay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I also you wonder too, um, because you can also get more bang for your buck being down there in Atlanta. Um, also, the cost of living in California, especially in the Silicon Valley Bay Area, is so astronomical and because if you are essentially non-white male you're statistically going to be making less money as it is so trying mm-hmm. to find a place to live and it's also really expensive you've even tried living you were you you even left like living in like the uh, silicon valley area because it was so expensive oh yeah absolutely i mean even having a job in the tech field like you know i right. was in the redwood i was in redwood city uh essentially and you know my rent for a, a modest one bedroom apartment was about to go uh up to over three thousand dollars a month oh did and, you have, you had a butler too like that, that came with a butler oh and no that came with free uh, dry cleaning oh and yeah yeah they cleaned absolutely. your house every week free three thousand dollars <laughs> puppies every morning no no and there was, was like a there was a gym and a massage every morning as well <laughs> yes yes and cucumber <laughs> cucumber glasses what do they put on their faces when they're getting a massage I know. I the, the 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 uh the, the kale facial whatever yeah bath. i got it it didn't yeah. have any of that. Three thousand dollars, one bedroom mm-hmm. apartment. No, what? no, that marble was like, floors. Here you go. You got a room. You got a room yeah. and a place <laughs> to sleep. Chandelier. In. There it is. <laughs> no, like God. it's just crazy. It's like you know, it's up and down a peninsula. It's got pretty insane to even just live there, and it's like, wow, what is like? Where is this all heading? Where is this all? going and it's it's caused like an exodus of all types of people not only to atlanta but also like people are checking out like north carolina there's actually some tech development there um there is uh you know texas different places dallas is coming alive austin has always been kind of a little tech hub because there's a video you know big video game company that's there but i mean and also colorado is is also a popular place lots of startups are happening in boulder and denver area and so there's been a lot of people that have been kind of like yo but between the quality of life cost of living even just like hey i want a different look or a different feel find out what's going on out there in other places in the country yeah, it's it's been some interesting developments as far as what this field and like uh, you know where people go to to do this work and then as the future moves on, I mean I'm working in virtual reality, there's also the factor of like hey, like is where you live even going to matter soon? Like, you right. know, virtual work, I you know, you get to the point where I can be a virtual avatar working with other virtual avatars like is the office does doesn't need to be a physical place anymore depending on what type of work is being done and doesn't that kind of sound terrifying i feel like then i then i feel like we start dipping into like the matrix because then you start living in this other sort of world this other sort of reality and like with any tool has its like pros and its cons but i think part of the reason why you're seeing so much vitriol amongst, first of all, like people are uh, depressed as fuck because they're not, and part of it is possibly being related to that. There's not actually connection and that actually we as human beings, if like thrive on connection, they did these terrible experiments like decade, like 
I don't know, a long ass time ago and they're doing weird ass things, putting <laughs> leeches on people. I actually heard from a doctor that they're actually bringing leeches back. So everything old is new again. Actually, they're like, it's not too bad. I don't know. Or maybe that's just how shitty our healthcare system is that they're like putting leeches on people again. I don't know. <laughs> Damn. But, <laughs> leeches are coming back. But there was an experiment they did when they left like a baby alone, like the, this baby alone for like, they would like feed it or whatnot, whatnot but they wouldn't like hug it or give it any, any died yeah like we crave that sort of connection and again people are being so bananas to each other online and in social media because we can't react to each other we can't connect and see how it is that this other person is you know taking in the thing that i'm saying yeah I, I think it's it's definitely a valid point to be like you know what i mean that actually comes up like so, I've been a, a part of a, a couple startups at the very beginning stages, um, and being all in the same physical place was actually something that was very intentional, and that was crucial to the startup functioning. Like, yeah. but there's just nothing like being able to turn in your chair, tap someone on the shoulder, and like you know brainstorm or just have a conversation about a product decision or a feature. Or even just some stupid thing that you talk about that's going to build trust or build morale or build whatever it is. Like yeah. that type of thing just is so hard to replicate if a person is working remotely and your that's team right. is only five people. Like how how do you build like you know when it comes down to it, building a solid business when it's only you and a few other people is so much built on trust. And yeah. it's like, how are you building uh, on that trust when essentially everyone's just sending text messages back and forth, and they can be <laughs> so they can be so much lost in translation in the group oh, chat, you know? Down. And it's like, yeah. oh man, that's just so so difficult. And also, just generally, you know, it's just a broader aspect of, hey, what are we what are we losing as we make these huge strides in? technology and information availability and information sharing like yeah. what are we losing and on the human connection side by just being with each other and interacting with each other on a very human level uh, Absolutely. It's a very, yeah it's a very interesting concept I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Springfield. Round Springfield is a new Simpsons podcast that is Simpsons adjacent. Mm -hmm. um, in its topic, we talk to Simpsons writers, directors, voiceover actors, you name it, about non-Simpsons things that they've done. Because, surprise, they're all extremely talented. Absolutely. For example, David X. Cohen worked on The Simpsons, but then created a little show called Futurama. Mm -hmm. That's our very first episode. So yeah. tune in for stuff like that with Yardley Smith, with Tim Long, with different writers and voice actors. It's going to be so much fun. And we are every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I, what has been your like experience and journey? Because you've, like, like Jerry Lawson, not only work in tech, but also influenced by the work that he did through playing video games. And you, if I can humble brag for you for a bit, I mean, you're quite the video game. I don't know you call you kids call yourselves, but like aficionado Duke mm -hmm. 
<laughs> oh, ooh, I'll take that. A duke. <laughs> yes. Aficionado duke. Um, you know, you, what, like you and Dan Sense Revolution are like the champion or something. I don't know. Clearly it's not going to be bio. No, yeah, are so. you that guy who did that thing? <laughs> are you that dude that did, didn't you do a thing? Well, I have not seen you around. Didn't uh, you, uh, was that you? <laughs> there's an aspect of Dance Dance Revolution competition, DDR, that's called freestyle. That's mm. and so that's different from technical. So the technical is like smash Ooh, the arrows, boring. Make get do that. the highest score. It can be pretty intense, but that's not why I do. I like I'm all about the entertainment. So yeah, there's an aspect oh, he puts where, on a show. Mm-hmm. You know I, it. He put on a show. Follow get him on Twitter. Now. You see it. <laughs> but wait, what was what? What did you <laughs> you you won something? Yes. So I. <laughs> Uh, won several something. So yeah, I was a the kids. DDR champion uh, in the 2000, uh, 2003-ish to 2006-ish, where for DDR Freestyle, like I just won a number of tournaments all over the country. Um, yeah. And then I also, in a similar game that's made in Korea called Pump It Up, um, I did a tournament for that. I got second place in a national tournament, which granted me a free trip to Korea for world championships in 2005. Amazing. Um, and then I got 10th place in the world championships in 05, which uh, for pump it up. But uh, so that was really cool. So I just, in general, I was a DDR there you go. champion. You're like the Scotty Pippen of dance as revolution. Yeah, I'll take it. Yes. Which I was is great. It was <laughs> huge. It was in there. It was such a big deal. Like there was the biggest DDR freestyle tournament that happened I think that was 2003 or 2004. That was at Cyberbeat Nation uh, Arcade in Koreatown. I won that freestyle tournament. It was a huge, huge deal. Amazing. Um, so that made me like a, a, free, a DDR freestyle legend, uh, which yeah, is you're awesome. legendary. Legend Absolutely. right uh, here. And so my question yeah. is, is so with both video games, and which I think is amazing and the importance of having – those who come before us, like the power of a person like Jerry Lawson, who really inspired you to even go on this track. But how has it probably been? I imagine a lot of these spaces of working in tech, uh, being at these video game competitions, and maybe the video game competition world is a little bit... I would imagine sometimes you're kind of the only. And how is that navigating in the tech space or the video game world? And has it gotten better? But what has been like your journey and experience? And like, was it tough? How did you get through that? Yeah, it's it's actually very interesting because it's almost been an extension of what I experienced, at, you know, just growing up. Like even yeah. in high school, you know, I grew up in Vallejo, which is a very, you know, diverse place. You know, it's one of actually, I think a, a report recently came out. It's one of the most diverse areas in the entire nation um, in Vallejo, California um, I was in AP and honors classes and in my uh, at some points during my career I was the only black male in the entire school that was taking honors classes Wow! Um, yeah so that was just one hell of an experience so I grew up like having a lot of like either my interests and the friends I was making like there were a lot of, you know, Asian friends, especially like white friends or 
um, people from different backgrounds that were not black. And yeah. so it was almost with the DDR community, there was definitely an extension of that where like on the big tournaments, like the national tournaments, there'd definitely be some black folks from different parts of the country yeah. um, that yeah. would be coming out. But uh, a lot of the local tournaments, I was like, you know, the only black dude or one of the only black guys that was that was playing. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Very, very different in the fighting game scene. So I was also competitive uh, oh, right, in the yeah. fighting game scene uh, for like Street Fighter and various versions of Street Fighter that have come out over the years. That is an area of competitive video game play that is very very mixed there are lots of black people that play fighting Ooh, games <laughs> which is very interesting yeah um, very interesting yeah so there's uh that's been kind of an interesting thing to observe as well like you know tied to the fgc the fighting game community and, and the, the kind of development that's happening in that field over the past you know decade or so as like esports have come to light like there's just been this it's like you can almost see how there in these different video game communities, there's definitely like this economic, like there's this shadow of economics that's over totally. the different types of video game communities. And like you have esports, for example, like your League of Legends and your, you know, your Counter Strikes. Um, and those are things that require you to have like a PC and pretty expensive video gaming equipment. And you can see what, like, you know, the folks look like there. A lot of white kids, a lot of Asian kids versus the fighting games, which a lot of, like, you know, that in the 90s and early 2000s was going down to your 7-Eleven and putting a quarter in the arcade machine. Right, um, yeah. And that <laughs> also speaks of the economic background. of, And you have lots of black and brown, you know, folks that are that are playing, like, the fighting games. Like, a lot of the fighting games are super popular in Mexico, for example, as because well as the black communities. Is it because of access, because they don't necessarily have to be able to afford a system, but they're able to scrounge together the quarters that they have. And there's also sort of, like, a communal sort of hangout sort of experience um, of that as well. Precisely. Like, that's a lot of it. Like, you know, I remember as a kid myself, either going to the arcade at the mall or when Street Fighter was in its heyday, like, you know, every, you know, 7-Eleven and, and, and convenience store had a couple arcade machines to make a few extra bucks. Um, and that was in, like, every neighborhood. And so it was the accessibility um, and the barrier as far as financial, you know, commitment <laughs> was definitely very different. Um, and, and so that was interesting. And then you had, you know, less kids that were able to maybe have a a video game console in the house and even less that would have, you know, uh, some kind of computer that was in the house. Right. Um, right. which I was fortunate to have that like in the late nineties, um, you know, to, to have a personal computer in, in the, in the home. I mean, even right. like as early when I was like, you know, 11 or 12. Um, and so I gotten, I got into games like Wolfenstein 3d and, and doom, um, yeah. And like, you know, a lot of those PC titles um, that, you know, a lot of other kids in my community looked like me were were definitely, you know, had no frame of reference. I had no idea right. what that was. Right. Well, and um, so it's yeah, interesting being able to have, again, like access and time, which, again, will sometimes limit the groups of people that are able to be involved in it as well. It sounds like it was a very like you found a niche. It doesn't sound like because maybe I don't it's possible the video game community is a little bit different and they're not 
Like I do. So my other question then too is that like I found because I've been to some of those tournaments and stuff, and I wonder if it's changing. There's a lot of dudes, a lot of guys, which sometimes when sometimes you get a lot of guys around, it can breed some sort of some hyper masculinity starts to sort of kick in, which can sort of occur and which can be unfriendly to women or queer people. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you kind of witnessed any of that, and if so, do you think that it's sort of are you seeing it change and evolve? Yeah, actually, within so it, this is such an interesting contrast. I'm glad we're talking about this, like this contrast between like the dance video game community that I got involved in and like the fighting game community, mm. which I was also involved in. Yeah. So in the dance community, because it's like, hey, we're all playing this dance game, and at a certain point the people that are doing freestyle, we all got pretty serious about dance. Like as you compete and you're like, you know, we're all like uh, as a community, people were into like K-pop videos at the time. This is before K-pop really blew up. Oh yeah. Um, you were ahead of the game on that one. You were like oh, 20 yeah. years ahead. Now people are like, ooh, K-pop. You're like, I already you're like, oh, did BTS. that. You're like, oh, BTS. It's like, what? It's like <laughs> H-O-T, baby. You don't know what that is. <laughs> Again, uh. I, need, I need subtitles because I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I need some subtitles. <laughs> but it's like, but yeah, but like we were into K-pop, like we were watching music videos and everything. So as the competition got stiffer uh, for freestyle, like there was more attention paid to like our dance performance and how well mm. we were presenting to the point that a good chunk of the people that I did dance games with back in the early 2000s are now dance instructors or doing like they're doing dance professionally or semi-professionally. Right. Uh, And so just generally like it was just such an open and accepting environment. And so there was a lot of acceptance about, Hey, don't matter who you are, what background you have, um, what kind of, you know, orientation you're coming from. There was a lot of acceptance that was happening yeah. in the dance community because it's almost, I think, an extension of like the dance or theater communities. Sure, there was the performance that sort of element, the artistic a, element to it. It's yes. interesting because I went, I've been with you to like either big events to these like the dance, the DDR sort of that stuff, or even I've competed in some of like the fighting, you know, area like Street Fighter. Like I don't know, it was like Capcom versus Marvel Two or something. Something that I was like training to be in, yeah. and it's interesting because like, there's there are like, you know now that you're saying this, it's reminding me they're very two different worlds. That it did feel like there was a sort of welcoming community of like artistry and expression, and it's still like there was the competitiveness, but there felt like there was a lot of like love underneath it. But I definitely think like the fighting arena was like so it felt aggressive. It felt hyper masculine and also i feel like a subtext of it is like not all of them but some of them are probably like not like the coolest kids at their school and listen high school schools are fucked up like it's you know fucked up but mm. sometimes that can come out <laughs> in like you know like having to like puff out the chest even a little bit more at these competitions you know like oh i'm you know and so it devolves into this like hyper masculinity that ends up happening in like the fighting game competition yeah like the fighting game community is such a contrast and there's a lot of things that are happening now that are trying to kind of address like hey let's be aware of the like are we accepting people that have these different orientations different backgrounds or 
um, when, you know, there's, you know, girls that are coming on the scene uh, that are also playing competitively, like, you know, are are they welcome? Are they, you know, treated with respect? Um, because it's been such a boys club, partially because it was like just video games in general were very much marketed to boys. That's what right. boys were into. That's what boys were supposed to be interested in. And fighting games are like the most masculine of right. this already masculine hobby. Um, right. So it's definitely a very much a boys club there. Um, and again, it's so interesting too what you said too. It's like marketed too. It's like we were told what we were going to like, you know, like girls were told what they were going to do and boys were told what they were going to do by these marketing execs, you know? But also like you look at the video game industry and what was marketed and not only were like the girl games so far and few between, but they were also trash. And so there was also like this discussion about like, you know, not only do you have these games that aren't really thoughtful in their design, but are also a poor product. Yeah. And like, and now that you see that, I think it like, so part of my story is that like I worked in the, in video game retail for many years and managed, you know, EB game stores back in the day. And it was really fascinating. Once Nintendogs was released for the Nintendo DS, that was one of the biggest explosion of girl gamers. I'm talking about like, seven and eight year old girls coming in the store like i want a nintendo ds i want nintendo dogs like it was this quality it was a quality experience that was built that was also like designed with like something that catered to the the feminine side of psychology like i I want to care for something right Mm -hmm. like i want to nurture something and here's this software experience that allows me to do that yeah. in a very fun and interesting way and it's like and it seems like that was part of the beginning of like oh well well yeah that totally makes sense if you make a quality product it doesn't have to be this gender specific or gender pigeonholed sure. industry because right? uh boys want to nurture and care for things too you know and yeah. women want to fight too and it's yeah. like when you just <laughs> tell them they're going to be playing buttercup pony and the game is like you know it they complete it's just a shit ass game. They're like, Well, I don't wanna yeah. like give my time into this. And then two, it's I would imagine too, it's sort of like and then fortunately those environments just breed even more sort of masculinity where it feels like they might not feel welcomed into this space, you know? Uh and it's oh, not yeah. that they don't want to, but it's like they don't feel like they're able to be in that space. Yeah. I, I mean just wouldn't want to be. And so and there were definitely some scenes where if you're coming there as a girl and you don't have friends already you're trying to break into the scene and make friends like that becomes a super intimidating situation being the only girl that's coming there but hey there's lots of girl gamers that did just that and not only did that but were just like exceptional at the game and played really well and now we're seeing a lot more of those you know girl gamers come in and break in but there's still like a lot to deal with. Like just recently, um, this was uh, maybe a few months back. Um, there was, you know, a girl gamer uh, for the Super Smash Brothers. You know, one of the Super Smash Brothers tournaments. She got in and she beat a a ranked player, like <laughs> fair and square. Like yeah. she she came in and countered this dude like totally and had a, a excellent match. Uh, unfortunately, she was getting a lot of online harassment. Insane. from 
from people and it's like still like aren't we past this like isn't that the beauty of these video games is like it's such a it's such a world that like in video games like it's it's such a it should be the place of such equality honestly because it's like you get to be this other avatar and this other person and it's just really based on like the skill that you have with your you know it really can sort of even the playing field you know like it's just your ability to uh, play this game, which is- yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's uh, you know it's this really complex issue where um, you have this product that you know the video games like historically as a business like there was the Atari and there was like this video game boom in the seventies the everything crashed because there was like no quality control and uh, all just all kind of crap and then when Nintendo kind of revived things worldwide um, with Nintendo and Sega. They pretty much that was that revival was focused on. All right, we're gonna market this thing as a toy, and pretty much we're gonna market this thing as a toy for boys. Right. Um, and so that's how video games have kind of that seed has been planted, and that's how they kind of came to uh, to rise as an industry in the early eighties. Right. Um, and I think as an industry, it's been struggling to shake that moniker even today where it's like, like one video games are for all types of ages. There's still people that like, Hey, like, you know, we have this rating on the video game. Yes. It's rated M because it's dealing, it's the Witcher, like the Witcher, the show, the content that's in that show is very much similar to the content that's in that vi- in the video <laughs> really? game. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, yeah, uh, very <laughs> much so. Like, and like with you know the the sex and the violence and everything in it. But it's like it's this thing where video games now are a thing that's for for everyone. They're a thing that it's extremely mature. Um, like, there's lots of video games that have very mature content, very mature themes, that have very complex stories. And of course you have, you know, if you include kind of some people don't like to do this, but if you include like phone and mobile games, like there's uh, there's people of every type. There's a lot of female like woman oh, yeah. gamers that I are out there playing these mobile games, right? Like mobile Candy games, Crush. Think, and... Yeah, women are the highest. Uh, I don't know how to word this, but they play the most amount of uh, mobile games. Exactly. And so you have like a totally different industry where a lot of people's perceptions still haven't caught up with the reality of the business and the industry and what it is right now. Yeah. And, you know, even to the point, like what type of things are being created, what type of things are being, um, being made. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely an industry that's still growing up. Uh, it still has some ways to go, especially when it comes to like, you know, there's definitely elements of the fan base that, are like, well, you know, just getting outraged about, you know, X, Y, or Z, where, you know, it just, it just makes no sense. It's like, it's such a wide genre now. Like, yeah. just stay in your lane and play the games you like. Done. And why yeah. would you? And also, like, <laughs> you know, I grow up, you know, and I, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, growing up from like the spiritual aspect of, I think a lot of, and I will say because I think there's a lot of, uh, anonymity that people are able to play behind the scenes I think like sometimes in gamer culture from what I've observed it can be just a little calm the fuck down like there can be so mm-hmm. much more like there sometimes there can be a, some a lot of homophobia and a lot of misogyny or even sometimes like racism involved in it and it's just like calm down take a breath 
Like it's not real and they're just games and that there's a human being on the other side. Um, And it should be the one equalizer in the space for all of us. We also get to play in the matrix. So calm down. Yeah. Well, I think this like part of it goes right back to the point that we're saying about human connection in which you have a lot of people in the society that, you know, there's the anxiety is so high. The depression is so high. They feel Mm. so disconnected. And so the video game, like the experience of diving in that interactive world comes to mean more to them in their lives than just playing a game. Mm. Like this becomes something that you internalize and that becomes something really, really special and really sacred to people that have, but, and and on the flip side of that, you have those people that uh, because they're so disconnected, they have this limited life experience and this really naive worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they're like, you know, the, the feminists are coming from nostalgia, like, you know, they get all up in arms to, you know, kind of, you know, they, they feel like I think a lot of people feel like they're protecting this sacred thing that is so special and near and dear to their heart because of all of these other factors and circumstances like i think none of these things are disconnected from each other and i get to go to therapy that's what i'm gonna tell them go to therapy go go to therapy a little bit because like also too like you have to understand like i mean for like what i would hope that they would understand is that it's the same thing like when people with comic books and people get upset that like in the movie a character who is maybe white is now not white it's sort of we're retconning all of this stuff, which is really great and amazing, even like, you know, talk, we were talking about uh, Tolkien earlier. Like, there's no reason why any of those characters in Lord of the Rings can't be cast as something else. Like, it's a fantasy. It's not really real. It's it's not really real. And at the time when it was written, it wasn't written in a mind or, or a lot of times when these video games were taking place originally... It was a different world. It wasn't a world that really included everybody. So all we're now is trying to say, let's play catch up and and, and and expand it. And it takes nothing away from anybody's past or even towards their future. Like, you know, equality is not a pie. Just because someone mm-hmm. else takes a slice doesn't mean you're getting anything less. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think part of this is also like there just needs to be new stories told from new corners of the world. Uh, that become popularized, yeah. you know, like the way Black Panther kind of has popularized Afrofuturism. Um, I just think there needs to be like, where's my fantasy show about the kingdom of oh, Mali? Hands, <laughs> hands down. But again, it goes back to like, we didn't have access to be, now we've got Tyler Perry Studios that can possibly happen that there wasn't like, n- we weren't able to do that beforehand. We didn't like, we didn't have like access or, or the ability to even do that or the trust and faith that that could like even happen at the same mm-hmm. time. Like I'm always, um, you know, people will tell Shakespeare stories until the end of time because to a certain degree, mm-hmm. we like the familiar stories. We actually love going back to familiar stories and redoing them in a different way. And I think it's fun to be able to play dress up that, different people can play different characters or I think it adds something different when you diversify something. Cause also like if I'm watching something, it's a bunch of white people. I can't tell them apart. It also just makes it easier for different characters about a pop when they look completely different. Like it helps your storytelling narrative. Like I'm like, Oh, okay. Another white person. I don't know, whatever. But it's yeah. like, and I, I think I, I, what I would encourage, cause I think people get so 
things take such a, a special place in our hearts, but I think it's a beautiful thing. I think when someone else wants to come along, it's like sharing it. Like, okay, this really meant something a lot to me and now I'm going to share it with somebody else and they might do it a different way, but doesn't take away from my experience that I had with mine. And you'll always have that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's just, there's so much to appreciate right now. Like if, like I always think like if I were to go back in time to my eight or 10 year old self, and, and just show them a screenshot of like the Disney Plus like home <laughs> Their screen. Head would explode. They'd be like, and then yeah, you, then you like, wouldn't exist because you would have just killed your eight year old self. Like exactly, that'll be so unfortunate. Be like, uh, here's a screenshot of Netflix, and be like, what? There's a Luke Cage. Boom. Like, and then you're like, no, you disappear. Like no, <laughs> I've cursed myself into a dark timeline. <laughs> and, oh man. All right. So the button on this. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know. You're like, I need, uh, I need a lid. Oh, uh, it was the button. Is thank you, Jerry Lawson, a, for creating Fairchild yeah. Channel F. <laughs> without you, we wouldn't have tarp. had this conversation. <laughs> exactly. Is he alive? Man, so you really grateful. didn't finish no, his bio, he, PJ. Just no, <laughs> I, I didn't even get close to finishing his bio. Like, no, he he unfortunately passed away a couple of a few years back. But um, was but he yeah, rich? Uh yeah, he did pretty well. You know, he's uh, you know, he's an engineer, so in Silicon Valley, so he, he definitely did well, and he was well respected. I mean, there's many people that knew him, and and uh, you know, he's he's definitely, you know, one of those folks that's part of the Silicon Valley mythos. So, um, you know, he's around and, and did well, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, I'm just you know grateful and thankful for his contribution and how it touched my life. Um, and you know, I had this entire journey from selling video games to playing video games to competing, you know, in video games, uh, in tournaments and around the world to, you know, starting up, a, a a company that was making a video game. And now like, you know, my career is in and out of VR video games and, um, and judging them and giving feedback on them mm. and, it's it's just like you know my my entire life has just rotated around this medium but uh but yeah i mean the virtual reality i mean it's just been it's just been magical like this whole journey um has been really magical so uh yeah it's just uh, thank you fair child channel, channel f, f. <laughs> Woo, i can talk to Bruce all day and damn near did. In fact, we were chatting so much, I uh, had to cut my topic. I was going to talk about the 1619 project from uh, the New York Times Magazine, which was done last year and marks the 400th anniversary since the first slave ship landed here in America. And it's a really amazing project. I can't wait to talk to you about it in the future. Slavery is part of the founding of this nation, it is part of the bedrock and the fabric of what created this nation and before we go towards the future we got to look towards the past that's going to be coming at you a little bit later on in the year plenty of that to go around okay so a little quick fact check which has become one of my favorite parts of the show so i was looking for the extra who stood out in the battle of helms deep that uh bruce was talking about 
couldn't find him so first fact check failed but if you find them please share their i'm sure there's gifs or gifs uh please share in the minority corner kids playground which is on facebook so talking about lord of the rings evangeline lily's character who was added into the hobbit who did not exist in the hobbit but they added her in her name was toriel toral I don't know. And then Liv Tyler's character's name was Arwen. And then Miranda Otto, who played the blonde lady, was Eowyn. They're very similar. But they're very similar. Come on, Tolkien. You're getting kind of lazy with your lady names. You only got two lady characters, and you can't come up with some more creative names for them? Okay, three, Galadriel, but still. So we talked about the Matrix, and he had mentioned, Bruce had mentioned that there was a case that kind of dampered uh, folks' feelings about The Matrix even after the sequels that came out. And it was Sophia Stewart. She won her court case uh, that essentially was said that The Matrix copyrighted her screen treatments. But then I'm going to link this article. It shows that court documents show that the story is a little more than a viral legend. So you can check that out. And Lana Wachowski is coming back to direct The Matrix 4. The guy who made spreadsheets, that's Dan Bricklin. He invented them. And then BJ was talking about Vallejo, California, that it was the most diverse county in the... That it was the most diverse county in the entire country. Or maybe he said city. Well, Vallejo's not a county, so it's a city. Vallejo was named the most diverse city in the state of California. The most diverse county is Alameda which is in the Bay Area. And then Solano County is actually the most diverse county in the entire nation. And that's where both Bruce and I both grew up. So I guess actually he was right. I had said that Bill Gates, I had talked about Bill Gates. I was wrong, got my bills wrong. It was actually Bill Joy who had done the 10,000 hours rules with he had access to at the age of 16. The University of Michigan had gotten a brand new computer lab in 1971 and Bill as 16 would go there and just do programming, which nobody really wanted to do, punching in all those numbers and things like that, how those big ass old computers worked. And he spent all that time there logging those 10,000 hours and that's how he became such a success. Bill Joy, who was also influential in the creation of computers and tech and things like that. So there is our fact check. I'm sure there's many more other things that I maybe missed. Feel free to tweet them at us at Minority Corner. Uh, spelled with the K. You can also email minoritycorner at gmail.com. And there is, like I mentioned, the Facebook group, the Minority Corner Facebook group. It is the Minority Corner Kids Playground. Come on in, join the conversation. Uh, let us know what were some of your early video games that you played. When's the last time you went and rewatched one of these epic trilogies? Does it hold up water? Does it change for you? Are you able to still appreciate it? Let us know. Let me know what you thought about the episode. Join in the conversation. I want to hear what you thought. And thank you all so much for listening to Minority Corner because together we're the majority. Love y'all. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.